0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which was for the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Ethical Panda family of podcasts.
1: And I'm Andy Nelson from the next real family of podcasts.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 89, which begins with Jane crying and ends with, to reference our guests from a few weeks ago, quite literally, The Lightning and the Storm. Joining us on the show today, we have Movie by Minutes guest favorite. It's Father David Mowry, chaplain of the Movie by Minutes community. Uh, Father David, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. It's Thursday. So I have to ask, we ask all our guests, what is what is your favorite Thor moment? Um, could be from the comics, could be from the movies, could be from uh the Lego Lego special, like whatever it is. What's your favorite Thor moment?
2: My favorite—I think my favorite Thor moment is. Oh, that glorious shot of Thor descending with all the lightning crackling around him onto the Rainbow Bridge in Thor Ragnarok Mm. as the immigrant song swells and you just get that thrum of the electric guitar and Led Zeppelin going like, oh yes, it's everything I want from a superhero movement. And that's where the slow motion works. (laughs) Because uh, Taika Waititi is, is able to gather all the lessons of Zack Snyder and use that judiciously. And the way he just blows away all of the zombie soldiers on that bridge oh yes, it's everything I want.
0: Yeah, it is is a great, great moment. So then we we start with this wonderful, beautiful moment of uh, Jane is crying, but we get to hear in the background the sort of like the jet engine hum of the hammer coming closer um, and we see it rising. And as it rises, there's this little, like, puff of smoke and kind of a sound. Is, it, is that the hammer breaking the sound barrier? Like, I don't know too much about, like, uh, you know, aerodynamics and physics, but what's happening in that moment?
2: That is a sonic boom. Okay, yep. that's my that thought. hammer is- it's going beyond the speed of sound, and everyone in Puente Antigua is about
1: to die. <laughs> exactly. That's That was my—well, yeah, we certainly talked about uh, sonic booms and breaking the sound barrier back in Iron Man. That was because uh, something Tony does while he's taking one of his mm-hmm. test flights. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, my sense—and I, I think that this is exactly why— uh, Eric rushes so quickly to pull Jane out of the way because the way that it looks from their perspective, I mean, it looks like a missile. Like uh, my right. my hunch is that what what all of these people think is that perhaps whoever is out there in the desert, this this at the shield complex, they have launched a missile out here to kind of destroy the destroyer. That's my sense of of their perspective of what's happening here. Oh. So that that didn't occur to me because they
2: don't do anything with Thor's body, but he is a. Big brick of meat. So it would be really tough to get him out of the way. It's like Eric said earlier do do me a favor, taste him when he's in the car next time. Right. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I, the miss, the missile angle I hadn't thought of, boy, yeah, that would make so much sense from their perspective. The evil government organization is going to blow everyone away. Yeah,
1: right, right. Uh, but it did, I mean, to your point just now, it also made me questions like, well, if that, like, why does nobody run to, like, grab Thor? Like, he's got all of his friends here. Just, like, go grab him and pull him out of the way. But maybe they know what's happening, if anyone. Yeah, I,
0: I, it's interesting. I, I thought that maybe... Uh, Eric is having some kind of a like, is it, could it be, you know, and then he maybe thinks like Thor should be there in that moment, but you're right. It could just be the, you know, the destroyer, the, the missile coming at them.
2: Yeah. The stirring of his Norwegian ancestry is cluing him in that Mjolnir is approaching. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and
0: I, I do love, because it's interesting, we've talked about how Thor does not have any agency in what's happening, he's not the one reaching for the hammer. And yet the, the one thing we get is that as the hammer gets close, it's just kind of like the, you know, you tap on the knee and the leg goes up. His arm shoots up to be able to catch the hammer.
2: That moment is so good. Oh, man, I was I was saying in the green room beforehand, uh, Andy did me the the great privilege of letting me choose what minutes to come on for. And I thought, well, I, I get to pick <laughs> which minute to come on for. I get to pick the best minute of the movie because, man, this whole sequence where you just, the arm goes up to catch the hammer and it's shrouded immediately in lightning. It is such a big emotional payoff for all the pathos that we've had up to this moment, because I think one of the the strong elements of this sequence is you had that long shot of Jane and Thor in the extreme foreground and the destroyer walking away with its back. And we, we didn't touch on it earlier in the week, but that really establishes the hopelessness of the situation that we're, we know that Thor's not dead. There's, there's a half hour of the movie left, so we know he's not dead, but in this moment, We start to entertain the idea that, okay, maybe Thor is dead. What's going to happen next? Exactly.
1: And uh, with Patrick Doyle's music here hitting like the, Mm -hmm. the peak... Thor theme, like just, just the way that it swells, it's just so big and robust mm. and just like, I mean, it is one of my favorite themes in the whole uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and just like the way that it kicks in, the lightning crashes, he is standing, uh, just like, I mean, everything is just kind of a uh, ablaze in this moment, and yeah, this is 100% why we are here, this, this moment, and I mean, I get chills, even just watching it one minute, I mean, I just get chills, it's just, it's such an intensely powerful, emotional minute, it's just infused with uh, it really with, is uh, that yeah and
0: I, I appreciate you use the same words i was going to use as a 90s music fan that lightning crashes um but, but we then <laughs> what i also love is that we get this <laughs> uh, shot of his face lit up by the lightning as he's still prone on the ground his arm is up but he looks as surprised as anybody i mean he looks very passive <laughs> he looks like this is a thing happening to mm-hmm. him and to me it, it, it's such a throwaway moment but it also really emphasizes he wasn't on the ground being like cool, I'm dead, don't worry, the hammer's coming. Like, he is as utterly shocked by this, no pun intended, lightning as anybody else.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he was not, to your question earlier this week, he wasn't expecting this. He he was willing to lay everything down and the the hammer, to use Christian language, the hammer comes in a moment of pure grace. It's an invasion of grace. It's an unexpected uh, event that turns everything to the better uh, in... Tolkien's language uses the term eucatastrophe, the happy catastrophe, uh, where everything suddenly works out. In the end. It's the appearance of the eagles right. as Sam and Frodo are on the slopes of Mount Doom, where all of a sudden there's an invasion of grace and everything sad becomes untrue. And it happens here where Thor's own body responds to the hammer before Thor's life breath comes back to him because there is such a close connection between the, the symbolism of the hammer and Thor's own worthiness. The, the, there's a fittingness the, the, the hammer belongs in Thor's Hand, not because Thor has been made for the hammer, but because the hammer has been made for Thor in the heart of the dying star. Right, and that that comes up again later in, in Ragnarok, where Odin will make that clear about the relationship
1: between Thor and Mjolnir. Yeah, yeah. It's also uh, you know just to not to take the steam out of all of the the power of the scene, but it's interesting also just in context of just a purely scientific sort of way. It's interesting that shot of Thor uh, with his face, uh, it it really looks like he's, you know, getting has a defibrillator, like the lightning is the defibrillator. He's just getting that, that shock to kind of boost his heart again.
0: Look, as guardian heart needs a little bit more power, you know, than a normal shock (laughs) is going to give.
1: Um, Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) So, and then of course, Loki turns and then again, echoing at the destroyer turns and we get this wonderful moment of it's one of my favorite shots in the whole movie where just as the destroyer is in profile you see the lightning kind of go up the entire side you know
1: body of the the destroyer flex it yeah and and i'm gonna
0: keep asking my favorite question so what's loki thinking now
2: what the yeah i think that's very appropriate
1: Wait a minute!
2: I thought you were super dead. This is cheating. Uh, I, I think there's just uh, there's just pure shock at this point because you you get the great dramatic uh, cape twirl as the villain turns and like what? Gordon's alive, yeah. and you you have this this moment where all of a sudden all of Loki's careful plans are coming undone. Where he like like you said earlier, Matthew, he, he took his best shot. He took his best shot at Thor. He killed him. Loki won. And he still loses. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's funny the way you said that you kind of went into the kind of like the mocking like little boy voice of like he's cheating because the, the next thought mm-hmm. would be, Dad, he's cheating, which is quite <laughs> yeah. literally the situation because it's Dad uh-huh, doing yeah. it. So I, I have a, a couple moments of sympathy for poor Loki here in some of these mm-hmm. moments. Um <laughs> And and so his power starts to return, and because we understand that fashion choices are very important, his outfit starts to return with him. Uh, and there's that great moment of kind of like the bracers reforming on his wrists and his armor starting to return. It, does Odin just have a sense of style built into all this? Is this connected to how Odin kind of like had been ripping that off and what we knew was kind of an important Norse uh, Norse ritual? What what's going on here about Thor not just not just holding the hammer, but now everything's coming back?
2: To me, it's a um, just thinking about it in Catholic terms, there's a sacramentality here where the Mm. exterior manifests the interior reality that. Now that Thor is worthy, he has proved himself Odin's son. He has to reflect that in his outward appearance. That the the t shirt and the plaid shirt and the jeans are not sufficiently worthy now of who Thor is interiorly. And so the exterior clothing reflects that interior reality. It's something that I'm very aware of every day. I don't have lightning shrouding me and putting my collar on every morning as a priest, but the clothes that I wear reflect an interior spiritual reality in my own life, that I am configured to Jesus in a particular way, and I am oriented in service to others, and my clothes reflect that interior reality in order to make that relationship with others as clear as possible from the get-go. And so it is with Thor. His worthiness as Odin's son is communicated by that garment, and it's not that the clothes make the man, but that the man is now worthy to wear those things again in a way that he never was before.
1: Yeah. I love love what you're saying about kind of just all of that, because I feel feel like there is this i mean yeah i, I like to think that you know okay o- odin kind of took all the stuff that he ripped off of thor after he had banished him and like he put it into some spell so like when the spell is is finally lifted all of the stuff goes back to thor uh sure but i mean honestly <laughs> i mean it it i it, the point is exactly what you said like the power is in him now being worthy to kind of wear all of that stuff and the way that it like builds itself back onto him it's i mean it's astonishingly well Put together, God. it's just it's so yeah. Good. It's it's oh and, yes, gosh. such I, a powerful moment.
0: I definitely connect with a lot of what you're saying. With both you're saying there, you know, I I distinctly remember my own ordination. I'm I'm Protestant. We don't have quite the same sacramental nature to it, but there's the idea of like the stole that was put around my shoulders by the other by the community that was ordaining me. You know, that was the first time I got to wear that because it was like I am now worthy of this particular vestment. And it's interesting because. Here, I mean, there's, I think it's the most kind of mystical theological version of it, but this is a theme, you know, Tony taking the suit away from Spider-Man and then him regaining it. Like there's again and again, this theme of like, are you worthy to wear the mantle of this hero, which is often reflected in the, the literal suit of this hero?
1: Very, very powerful.
2: Oh, and and it just it just continues with that that silhouette of him in the middle of the lightning bolt. Oh, it's so good! Uh, it's just so rad. Yeah. Oh my god, it's just so flipping cool. I I was saying that my favorite. Thor moment is from Ragnarok, but th- this is the third best Thor entrance in mm-hmm. the MCU. Uh, this moment where everything is coming together, there's this, you know, the just the sheer joy on Sif's face oh, as yes, she's great. watching this, because she knows exactly what's happening, and she's like, yes, this is rad, I am here for this, and it communicates this uh, this great moment of a hero's entrance. Yeah. Um, second best is Infinity War, because, man, that scene is so that's great. A great <laughs> moment, yeah. and, and
0: there's two things i would say there one one is it's a small thing but in that moment where he's lit up by the lightning his back is to the destroyer you know cuz it's again that yeah. like it's not i'm not i it's not even about you but also i want to comment on what you said about sif cuz we get a great shot of the the warriors 3 and you know volstagg's in the center and they're all like guys it happened it happened it, but stiff, to me, the difference is they are happily surprised. stiff is not surprised in the slightest. like I, to me, it really shows yeah. that she, even more than them, never lost faith, never thought that mm-hmm. this wouldn't you know it kind of reminds me of the um again, not to get too christological, but you know the 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 women who first encountered Jesus, you know as, as opposed to the mm-hmm. guys who are doubting, doubting Thomas and the like, she mm-hmm. just is clear she never doubted this was coming.
2: Lady Sif as image of the Blessed Mother is not <laughs> something I have thought about before. But yeah, there, there's a definite "I knew it" on yeah, Sif space. Yeah. yeah,
1: and Jamie Alexander carries it so well. Like that, that mm-hmm. moment might be one of my favorite Sif moments uh, in the film. But just like, I mean, it's exuberance.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Very much so. And then, and then we get to, I think it was probably the most commented on reaction. You know, uh, first, Eric has this, again, the acting is so good. You know that for Eric, the pieces are all finally falling into place. You know, he's the one who most understands the myth. He's seeing it come to life. And then we cut to Jane. Oh, my God. Um, they had to make that pun at some point in time. And this is the way to do it. But... but uh, to me, it's also amazing because Jane is the scientist. Jane is the one who wants to study everything, and here, even she, she's not pulling out her dial. She's not taking. It. She's just overcome in the in the moment.
2: Mm-hmm. She is. She is being present to the moment. Yeah. The uh, the oh my god moment is. That's very cute. Um, what I love about it is. How it speaks to the, how do I put it, the authenticity of the relationship between Jane and Thor up to this moment, mm-hmm. where there, there's been no ulterior motive from Jane. Jane has not been drawn to Thor because he's, ooh, the big strong god, and oh look at your hammer, Thor, and oh my gosh, isn't, uh, aren't you so big and powerful. But it's been in the, the growth of them on a personal level and that now there's this surprising revelation that Thor was telling the truth this whole time. I I liked him when he told these crazy stories about Yggdrasil, but I just kind of thought it was kind of nuts. But oh, my God, he was actually the god of thunder this entire time.
0: It's a fun mirror of we were talking about how that, you know, you have to be willing to completely give up the power in order to get the power back. In rom coms, mm-hmm. there's that a related trope of you have to be willing to fall in love with a person when he has nothing in order to then say, oh, but by the way, I'm a Hungarian prince, you know, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> so it's it's another kind of great take on that. You know, she could love him at at his most Donald Blake and then get to see him in the full Thor glory.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah it's a great and it just it speaking to Jane the scientist, it is a great moment of you know the the world is so much bigger than than I have mm-hmm. understood yeah. and uh that that makes for a very interesting. Uh, moment and, and just, I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of that cheeky reaction that she has here, which, yeah, it's, it's fun, but I just, I love the sense that it, it strikes her, especially being the one that, I mean, you know, she had just lost this, this person that she really loved only to have, I mean, wow, what a, what a sudden shocking, you know uh, twist in the in the story here uh to have him he's alive and he's you know lightning is resurrecting him and here he is uh you know it's i mean it's a crazy moment to have and so i think that it speaks to such an a a broad opening of her perspective of everything i mean we've already had a lot of that over the course of the film as she's kind of talked with thor trying to get a better sense of what's going on but this is a moment where there's a lot of that confirmation
0: right Mm mm-hmm and so then, of course, we start to see the the Thor, the warrior, come out. Even before we see him entirely, we see the hammer come out. It's this great scene of the destroyer starting to fire. And then just the, the hammer comes out, knocks it away. It shoots in a, a wild direction. And then the hammer comes back and knocks it down. We only get the full reveal of Thor until he's holding the hammer. And I just thought that was such mm-hmm. a great just like little filmmaking thing of showing the hammer first, showing it that he knocks down the destroyer, he's clearly winning, and then we see him again.
1: Well, and it's backhand mm-hmm. like the first time it hits him, it essentially is a, a reverse of the backhanding that it gave to yeah. Thor a couple minutes ago, which I think is is oh, really amazing. Right. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, because he yeah, he gets he gets clobbered from both sides. Yeah, yeah you, you you get to see the manifestation of Thor's power first before you see Thor in all of his Asgardian glory. And that shows that Thor is now back. We saw all the the great uh, ability with Mjolnir uh, on Jotunheim, where he's just doing everything with it. And we haven't had anything like that the whole rest of this movie. I I was thinking about that as I was watching this the other day. The only other fight scene in between Jotunheim and now is the the base invasion, and that's just – Well, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. level martial arts kind of stuff. There's the the fisticuffs, and we don't even get someone firing their their bow, even though he's up in the cherry picker. But anyway, uh, (laughs) this now is a return to Thor the warrior, but now a warrior in full possession of himself, come to maturity, and
1: now truly worthy of being called Odin's son. Yeah. Well, and Matthew, I love what you wrote in the notes, how he looks solemn here. It's not the braggadocious kid that he was back on Jotunheim, i think there's there is that growth and it really shows in the way he's going to approach uh, a battle
0: yeah absolutely about the it's such a different reaction we get from him but i have to ask here and um father Dave, we were talking before about how the christ metaphor breaks down a little bit because it does <laughs> seem like here now we have conquered death and now those Romans are in real trouble. I mean, it does seem like... And again, cause it's not a Christ yes. story. It's a Thor story. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be the exact same. But I do like... it. It is interesting to me that it goes in a very different direction. Especially because, like, the destroyer's walking away. Like, presumably it's going to turn back and keep fighting. But I do like and he's like, all right, I'm here. I've conquered that all. Now I can be a better... But for him, it's not about I am surrendering my time as a warrior. It's now I know what I need in order to be a warrior.
2: Yes, uh, it is. Yeah, Like you said, it's a Thor story. The... <laughs> Thank goodness Jesus does not come back from the dead looking to crack heads um, cuz it would be the apostles next on the line first. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's a superhero story. That's that's always part of my I don't know, fatigue, I guess with the superhero mm-hmm. mythos is that the the even if there is a death and resurrection motif, it's a resurrection back to the exercise of violence. It's a resurrection back to the way we did things before, but now better with new powers. I mean, that that's fine for some entertainment, but especially when you have how many movies do we have now, 29, 28 <laughs> of these Marvel movies, just some break in the pattern is always welcome, which is why I, I won't. Do it the same that I did when I was Iron Man, in it, but that's why I love Doctor Strange. It's a really, that's exactly great, what I was thinking, yeah. really great story because it's so different. Yeah, but yeah. I will, mm, I'll save yeah. that because the, the yeah, ending of that to me is, is a yeah,
0: It's the he finds a way without violence. Mm hmm. Um, and then, of course, Thor starts to fly up and he's creating a storm. Um, the Destroyer fires at him a couple times. The friends are all running away. Uh, and I think we're going to uh, talk more about the storm that he's creating next minute. Um, but just kind of important. That's why the, the lightning and the storm is what's happening here. Any other last comments about this minute Me, either there you?
2: Well, I've got uh, today's installment of Christ and the Cape. We talked a little bit about the the Christological themes breaking down in this minute, but I I wanted to talk specifically about Christology, that is the theology of the person of Jesus. Uh, Every hero that that comes out of the Western tradition, out of out of a culture that's been formed by Christian ideals, is going to evoke or echo Christ in some way, shape, or form. And it's always interesting to see, okay, who is this person of the, the savior in this particular movie? What kind of hero is Thor? And what's interesting with Thor, Thor evokes not so much uh, what we would call kind of orthodox Christology, but more Aryan Christology. Christology. Now make sure I you hear me? I don't, there's not a Y yeah. in that word. It's A-R-I. This is not the Aryan uh, this, of the Nazis,
0: to be very, very clear. Yeah, that, yeah.
2: that's That's a different Christology, which I could talk about later, but not today because, oh boy, it's a whole thing. Anyway, uh, Arius was a priest from ancient Alexandria and is generally considered, well, the arch heretic of the Orthodox Christian world because his idea was that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God, which means that Jesus is not the same as God the Father. He is something else. The big tagline of Arian Christology is that there was a time when the Son was not, the Son is created. Uh, now, the son, it, I won't go into all the details, but you can see some elements of that here with Thor. He's the son of Odin. There was a time when Thor was not. And so he is subordinate, therefore, to Odin. He and Odin aren't the same. There's there's not a sense of a shared divine nature, as Orthodox Christianity says, about Jesus and God the Father. And so rather there's a subordination where Odin, as the Father, has to impose his will on Thor, and Thor doesn't go along with the program right away. Um And uh, the difference in the Thor story when it comes to the other element of Christology that Thor ties in. So even though there's this difference in Thor's relationship to the father figure, there's a dash of. The, this concept of kenosis, which is a Greek word which means self-emptying, that in Thor, Thor is humbled. His his divinity, so to speak, his Asgardian-ness is taken away. He has uh, the humiliating episode in the hospital <laughs> where he's he is tranquilized in a, a most ungodly place and where he has to come <laughs> to terms with having things stripped from him when he goes into the shield compound. And he has to come to terms with that humility, with that emptying of what what makes him an Asgardian warrior in God. I'm just a man now, he says to the Warriors Three when they show up. Now, this idea of kenosis in Christian understanding is something that the Son of God chooses in order to set about the work of salvation. Uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians has the great Christological hymn that encapsulates this idea. Though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. So. Uh, uh, again, like the theology of the Gospel of John, Jesus is in control. He's choosing to divest himself of that glory, of that power for the sake of salvation, to set things right um, from the inside of what's gone wrong, to get right down into the depths of humanity. Thor has this kenosis imposed on him. Thor doesn't choose to empty himself. And so that that's what makes this less an act of salvation and more an act of true humbling, a, a degradation of Thor so that he can come to terms with himself. Himself. He's very much the savior in the story, but his his saving power comes from his Asgardian-ness, his weakness as just a man. While that makes him worthy, it makes him worthy of the exercise of power that can save the day. It is not the weakness itself that saves the day. Everything is not set right by his act of sacrifice. Rather, that's a a means to an end, which is again where the Christological connections start to break down.
0: It's, it's fascinating thinking about it in those kind of terms because the you know, sacrifice is something I think that we think about in so many different ways. I think it often can get very misunderstood. You know, that it becomes like, you know, it's the like, well, don't forget what I did for you. You know, it sacrifices a way of kind of like claiming an emotional power over someone else. Um, and 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 I, I really like the way that, that you're talking about it there. That it's it's showing that this kind of like, are you or are you not Odin's son? Is 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 Especially because, since for him, unlike the the kind of Christ story, he doesn't start out being born on Midgard, and that you know he starts out with that with with all of that. And one thing we've talked about before is that in many ways, this is as much Odin's redemption as it is Thor's, in that it is Odin recognizing that the way he has raised his son, like I think that there's definitely a lot of responsibility that Odin takes on, If mm-hmm. like you know did I spoke did mm-hmm. I not you know. Teach him the right way. Did I did I spoil him too much? Should I have given him more of the like the experience of not being Odin's son, but just being the Thor figure?
2: You see that you see that in Anthony Hopkins acting in the um, in the Bifrost yeah. chamber where he realized, I, yes, you're right, I am a fool. Yeah, I was a fool to think you were ready for this. And he there there's a moment of self reckoning, like oh, I yes, I've made a mistake. I've made an error in judgment because I wanted to rush this and you weren't ready. Yeah, so we got to do it this way.
1: I like your perspective on that it's it's a very interesting like if you look at this like this is Odin's journey we've been watching you know we don't get the full thing until Ragnarok really but starting where he did with such you know you know violence and, and slaughtering the, the realms to rule everything only to have that shift that you know we have determined I think rightly when he's uh, standing over Lafi at the beginning in in uh, in uh, palace and makes that shift to say you know what this isn't the way i'm not going to kill him and then but then only to find that he still hadn't fully learned his lesson because i think he stepped too far back from parenting and this is finally that moment where he's like everything is kind of like he's figured it all out and now odin has has gone through that whole thing so it's it's interesting
0: definitely so much more we could talk about, but I want to respect time and, and kind of draw this episode to an end. So Father David, um, people know about your website, your podcast. Is there anything, where else can they find more, your writings or or research or, um, uh, you know, musings or whatever?
2: Uh, well, that, that's really it. Every so often I write something on Twitter, Most, but most of the time my tweets just end up in my drafts file because <laughs> I write them and I think, oh, nobody cares. No one wants to hear what I have to say. There's so much else out there. But so maybe, you know, maybe you just kind of watch for that every once in a while. Again, that's at Father Maori that's F-R-M-O-W-R-Y on Twitter. Right. Well, thank you,
0: as always. It's been a great week. Looking forward to finishing up tomorrow. Andy, as always, thank you so much for all you do. To our fans, you're what makes this possible. You give us the power that we have to, to uh, have these great discussions. Let us know what you think. All the feedback information is on the website. Uh, so please, please let us know and have a great day.
1: Until next time, true believers.